You're going to love this. Just love it. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast stuck in the middle with you once again, as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, and of course, coast to coast. And around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, the iTunes. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, RadioOrNot.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, Parts Unknown, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger. Journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Rest it up after the 4th of July holiday weekend. Hope you had a very good weekend, too. The um, I had reported, uh, well, I had said before the break that I would report if the fireworks were a bit happier for me than they had been in the past. Uh, which is true over the past, I don't know, a decade or so. I didn't enjoy the fireworks as much as I had uh, had in years prior when things were when we were in the darkest days, I guess, of the uh, of the Bush administration. I just I couldn't feel particularly patriotic. And then we were in the continuing dark days of the Bush administration, otherwise known as the Barack Obama administration. And I didn't really enjoy them that much either. Uh, this year. I really enjoyed the fireworks for some reason. I don't know. Did you, Desi, uh, enjoy the uh, fireworks? Yes, in, yes, in yes. But I always I, enjoy fireworks. You, well, that's you're, you're a patriot no matter what. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Well, of course, and I believe I you are a patriot no matter what as well. But as far as enjoying this, the ephemerality of fireworks, uh, yes, I do. The ephemerality? Yes, wow. I think that's a word. That's impressive. I like it, uh, whether it's a word or not. Yeah, no, it was. we were actually in, uh, in Phoenix enjoying the uh, fireworks for a few minutes. And while I was enjoying them, uh, you know, I can't tell. Maybe I'm just reading this into what everybody else, uh, you know, taking this out of my own mind. But uh, Phoenix, very red, uh, red city, you know, very Republican uh, area of the country. It seemed to me that um, they didn't enjoy the fireworks this year as much as they have in years past. Is that my imagination? Well, I don't know. You could be projecting a little I could bit. Be. Maybe uh, they seemed a little uh, subdued. Th- yeah, their enthusiasm was was dampened. Actually, I a would bit, agree with you on me. that. With yeah. the music that they were playing, you know, it wasn't really you yeah. know in 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 eras past and years past, it's yeah. been a little bit different. This time, it was a little less rah rah. I thought it was too, uh, but not for me. I enjoyed it, and I'm feeling uh, rested and relaxed and ready to go. My thanks to Nicole Sandler of Radio or Not. Not.com for filling in for us uh, at the beginning of the week here to allow us a few more hours of uh, peace and quiet. 
And uh, so thank you, Nicole. And, and it was interesting. I had no idea that she was going to uh, play uh, an interview that, that she and I did, well, that she did with me, that I was on her show a, a week or so ago. And she had asked me about the origin of the Stuck in the Middle with You theme song that right. I've been using for like a, more than a decade now. And she she accused me. She said, what are you, a, a middle of the road, a blue dog Democrat, uh, a centrist? You can't make a, a, a decision one way or another during that interview. So she played a part of that, and I explained myself. You'll have to go back to the archives to uh, to find out the explanation, the genesis of uh, the use of Stuck in the Middle with You. You can always get that at bradblog.com or over at iTunes, where, by the way, I hope you'll stop by and give us a good review at the iTunes because it makes it a little bit easier for everyone else to find the show. She also said, she also admitted, Nicole Sandler did, that uh, that she says she she likes listening to the Bradcast and she hated admitting that. <laughs> and I don't know why she hated admitting that. Uh, she says, oh, it's because I'm the, the brother that she like the brother that she never had. I just I'm uh, she she just has a very difficult time saying anything nice well, about me. I don't know true. what it it's is. This is the way you guys talk to each other. And though. it makes me furious. And therefore, <laughs> Nicole Sandler will never, ever guest host the broadcast ever again. Until the next time I need a, t- a day off and then I'll I'll call. Sister, OK, uh, there you go. Sister Sandler. Uh, so thank you, Nicole, for uh, for jumping in, and yeah, it was you should a great check show. out you should check out her. Sh- yeah, it was a great show. Some really interesting stuff on the BP settlement, uh, and and other things that were lost in the holiday uh, weekend news dump. So check that out, and check out her show at radioornot.com, uh, which is uh, I I am proud to say they are uh, one of our many affiliate stations. So uh, check check that out. Check her out. Okay. Um, Oh, and speaking of holiday news dumps, a remarkable bit of politics happened over the weekend in Wisconsin, where the state is currently finishing up their uh, their budget just days before Republican Governor Scott Walker plans to announce his run for the 2016 Republican nomination for president. And um, uh, some amazing politics going on up there, what Scott Walker has been either pulling off or trying to pull off since becoming governor. And the way he is changing the state and the very nature of the state, uh, you know, the, the birthplace of, of unions in this country, uh, the birthplace of, of transparency laws, open records laws, those came under fire over the weekend when I guess the Republicans who, who run the state legislature up there thought that maybe nobody was looking. Apparently, people were looking. And so we're going to talk about that and what happened over the weekend with Brendan Fisher from the Center for Media and Democracy to get the latest skinny on uh, on the the late just the latest Scott Walker drama playing out up there in the Badger State. Yeah, I mean, and I I would love I can't wait to hear more about how this whole thing works, but it's incredibly sneaky, and I'm shocked. I think that this should be something that is applied to Scott Walker. He should be sneaky Scott Walker because he is super sneaky on this. Sneaky Scott. Oh, I didn't say by the way. That's Desi Doyen, oh, yeah. our producer. Hi, hey, Desi. I'm uh, here. I, I don't think I officially uh, uh, announced you, so there you are. Uh, yeah, it is incredibly sneaky. But that's what he does. So more drama in Wisconsin. And speaking of drama, uh, Greece is the word. 
the, uh, so much drama going on in Greece uh, over the weekend, over the holiday weekend here out there. They had the big referendum uh, essentially coming down to whether there would be uh, you know, more austerity as imposed by the uh, by the Europeans, by the uh, Eurozone and by uh, Germany. Uh, and uh, Greece said no in a huge, huge way, by huge numbers. They said, no, we're not going to take your bailout deal and impose even more austerity on this country. The question is, however, what comes next? Will they be leaving the European Union, as was uh, a lot of people were talking about, that the referendum would come down to, you know, either Greece staying in the uh, in with the in the European Union using the euro or going back to its own currency Greece obviously doesn't want to lose its alliance with Europe Europe doesn't want to see the eurozone start falling apart they also don't want to see uh, Greece moving more towards Russia these are power plays with the highest possible stakes it seems to me for a country uh, whose very existence as a nation is now hanging in the balance. You know, every time in this country we get to elections uh, every four years, every two years, you hear the politicians all tell you, oh, this is the most important election this na country has faced in decades and uh, the very existence of our nation. Uh, well, no, this in Greece, that really was the case on uh, on Sunday and the referendum. And now as they figure out what the hell to do and how this thing moves forward. I mean, yeah, this this will this actually will change the course of European history. It can go either this way or it can go that way. And they have to decide. And it's it's a conundrum, I have to and say. And I don't know how they decide, frankly. What it is is high-powered negotiations. This is about as high-powered as they get when you're talking about the existence of a, the survival of a country as we know it. Uh, so some very serious power plays going on. Some very serious negotiations, which... Brings me to Donald Trump, the ah, great yes. negotiator, or <laughs> at least uh, so you would believe if you believe Donald Trump, even though he's negotiated himself into what, four bankruptcies uh, over the past several decades. And he has now managed to negotiate himself out of existing longstanding deals that he has had, that he has made millions on with NBC, with Univision, with Macy's. Serta, they're all. I don't know what uh, what deal he had with Serta. Uh, I don't even want to ask about the Donald Trump mattress. I don't know what that's Ew. about, but I know. But he's uh, he's lost that deal. He's lost the deal with NASCAR. He's now lost his deal with uh, with ESPN, with PGA, with some company called Farouk. Farouk, have you heard of Farouk? Farouk, there. I have not. Hair products, apparently. Okay. Now, what kind of company? <laughs> would go into business with Donald Trump concerning hair products. Uh, anyway, so he's supposed to be such a great negotiator, but apparently he's uh, he's lost all these contracts, and he did it within pretty much within you know the very first day that he announced that he was going to be running for the uh, for the Republican nomination uh, by coming out and calling Mexicans uh, rapists essentially, which is what he did. Now, they have the, the bigger problem, never mind Donald Trump and his business problems that he's running into. The bigger problem is for the Republican Party. You remember, Desi Doyen, after the 2012 election, the GOP, they did what they called an autopsy. 
after they took a thumping, right, uh, for the second time against Democrats and Barack Obama. And uh, among the things they came out with was, well, we need to shorten the length of time uh, and the amount of debates that the primary process goes on because it was a clown show back in 2012 and they wanted to avoid that this time. Pick their pick their uh, nominee right off the bat. You know, anybody who could survive it, would they'd have to have the money to survive it. And boom, they'd be done with it and they wouldn't have all of these nightmare debates that they had last time around. And then the other thing that they were supposed to do policy wise after 2012 that the party had decided we must do is we must stop this whole immigrant thing, this immigrant bashing that we are doing. They're looking at the uh, uh, the, the, the demographics working against them in this country. They're seeing that there are more and more immigrants uh legal or otherwise, but, you know, people who are tired of all of the Republican immigrant bashing that's happened over the past 10 years. Well, sure. And, and the Latino population in America is growing. It's it projected to grow Ex exactly uh, not right. exponentially, but hugely. And that that is basically going to demograph them right out of elections. They cannot win a presidential election unless they do something uh, with, with their problems, with with Latinos, with the problems that they have reaching out to the Latinos who are moving more and more away from the Republican Party. And then came Donald Trump. And that was this year they were supposed to, you know, do away with those problems, move on. And then comes Donald Trump talking about Mexicans as criminals and rapists. Originally on his first day out, his first announcement, then he went on uh, Jake Tapper's show a few days later to try to tamp down all of those problems. And then he ended up instead doubling down and insulting pretty much all of South and Central America, calling them rapists. And then in the last few days, he's retweeted an ugly comment about Jeb Bush, whose wife happens to be Mexican. And then he really he tripled down over the past 24 hours by releasing a 900 word, three page statement trying to clarify the entire mess. But he appears again to have only made things worse, making the additional claim that, quote, tremendous infectious disease is pouring across our border. Ew, <laughs> that just sounds disgusting. Well, it would be disgusting if it was true, right. but it is not. But the people who are in the Republican base at this point, they they buy this stuff clearly because Donald Trump has you know rocketed to the top of the polls or at least to second place in the polls behind guys like Jeb Bush and behind guys like Scott Walker. And he is going to be a real force if he gets into the actual debates, which begin about one month from today. The first debate on Fox News, August 6th. And unless something changes, you can bet your bottom dollar that Donald Trump is going to be there and he is going to suck up most of the oxygen on that debate stage. And it is going to be something to watch. But more importantly, it's going to be something that is a real problem for the Republican Party. And that real problem continues. And how they're going to do away with Donald Trump in this case, I don't know, because I think he's only going to get more and more popular. The more you hate him, the stronger he becomes. That's he right. only becomes stronger. That's right. So basically you're saying that there was this autopsy that the Republican Party did in 2012 after they lost the presidential election with Mitt Romney. And they came up with these two big things they had to do about, you know, being nice about immigration. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was the other one? 
Uh, and and shorten the and, and, and take short, out the drama yes. out of the uh, out of the primary process. of the Republican clown car yeah. and the pro- and so now they've gone the exact opposite way. How's that working out for you, Republican clowns? Uh, speaking of Republican clowns, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Scott Walker, who is really I shouldn't even call him a clown because he's not a clown. He is a real threat. He is a real danger to our democracy. He's a real danger, frankly, I believe. Uh, to the way this country governs and to what this country stands for. That much is clear from the way he has governed in Wisconsin, gutting unions, uh, and now trying to gut open records laws, trying to gut transparency in the great state of Wisconsin. So, you know, reporters like myself and others who want to know what the hell is going on and what he's trying to get away with, you know, can find out. Well, anyway, let's take a quick break and we will come back and uh, fill you in on the Wisconsin surprise that happened over the holiday weekend with my guest, Brendan Fisher from the Center for Media and Democracy. All of that and much more straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Please do stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Who has a lot of really dirty little secrets? Uh, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. He's got a lot of them, and he wants to make sure that you and I never find out about them, it seems. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Nicole Sandler, as she was guest hosting this program yesterday, was talking about the <laughs> a couple of uh, amazing news dumps that happened as the... Uh, as the holiday weekend came, she was uh, focusing on the uh, the BP uh, oil spill settlement in the Gulf, which was announced on Thursday night. But an even bizarre, even more bizarre, I would say, news dump, uh, all, almost, uh, well, two different news dumps on the same story kind of happened over this holiday weekend up in Wisconsin. And I've been trying to make sense of that ever since I've been uh, ever since getting back on the grid here over the past 24 hours or so. Uh, and it, this involves Governor Scott Walker up in Wisconsin, who, by the way, uh, you know, all all jokes like Donald Trump aside. Uh, and Scott Walker is potentially leading the pack. I've talked about uh, him over the past few weeks that he has. Uh, a fantastic shot at being the Republican Party's nominee, to be frank. 
you know, he doesn't have the, well, he doesn't have the baggage for now of a Donald Trump, or at least he doesn't have the loudmouth of a Donald Trump, I should say. He, um, unlike Jeb Bush, he's not considered to be part of the establishment Republican Party. He is beloved by conservatives as well. This guy has a pretty clear shot to become the Republican Party uh, nominee for president in 2016. And yet, once you start looking at Governor Scott Walker's record, this guy has more baggage than uh, Chris Christie and all of the other candidates combined, perhaps. In any event, Something strange happened up in uh, in the Badger State over the weekend as on Thursday night, late on Thursday night before the July 4th holiday, the Budget Committee in the Wisconsin State Legislature on a 12 to 4 party line vote passed language for the state budget that would have largely killed Wisconsin's Open Records Act. Really? Uh, here to explain that move by the Wisconsin State Legislature, where it came from, and then what the Wisconsin State Legislature was forced to do over the weekend, is my guest Brandon Fisher, General Counsel at the Center for Media and Democracy, based up in Wisconsin. Brandon, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you for having me back. Uh, this is really, really strange. So let me go through this with you. What exactly happened first uh, late night on Thursday? And then we, we can talk about what happened uh, on uh, on Saturday, actually on July 4th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, let's let's start with the first part first. So what happened? The Budget Committee tried to kill Wisconsin's Open Records Act. Really? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and it was surprising because Wisconsin does have one of the strongest open open records laws in the country, uh, and it's and it's part of the state's proud and long traditions of open government and government transparency, uh, and and Wisconsin's uh, open government traditions have long had bipartisan support, uh, and in some ways it's sort of the third rail of Wisconsin politics. It's the thing that it's the thing that you don't touch. So uh, many people were surprised when uh, late Thursday night, just as the legislature is wrapping up its work on the on the two-year budget, uh, there was an anonymous motion uh, to to amend the budget to really really undermine the public records law, at least as it applies to the legislature and the governor's office, and it would uh, it would create a broad deliberative process exemption that would allow legislators and the governor to uh, to withhold records showing how policy is developed. It would allow legislators to um, uh, to create a new rule uh, just with a majority vote to exempt even more records from disclosure. Uh, and the entire uh, this entire effort to gut the open records law would be retroactive back to July 1st. So the, the measure was introduced on July 2nd. It would have been retroactive back to July 1st which would have prevented anybody from knowing knowing how this measure this measure came into came into being um, and and as I think we're going to discuss it, it did uh, create a, a firestorm in in Wisconsin um, and and prompted bipartisan outrage really uh, outrage from across the political spectrum and and I think that uh, the the fact that even over the holiday weekend even though they did this late on Thursday night that a firestorm was created that enough people noticed, I think uh, does underscore the nature of the Open Records Act in Wisconsin uh, and and how uh, beloved that is, really, as you say, uh, Brendan Fisher, from the right and the left. I've been talking with uh, 
well, a source of mine who I've who I've dealt with over the years, who's actually a Republican up in Wisconsin, who relies on these open records, uh, you know, submissions to get at what the uh, not just the state legislature is doing, but I guess local, uh, you know, municipal governments as well to try to understand what they're doing. We've talked a lot on this show about open records and the importance to journalists, uh, you know, open records laws, uh, public records laws in states across the country, as well as the Freedom of Information Act, the FOIA uh, at, at the federal level. How is the Wisconsin, before we get into what, what ended up happening over the weekend uh, in regard to this, how is, uh, are, are you able to uh, explain how the Open Records Act in Wisconsin differs uh, from, from similar laws in other states? Uh, sure. Well, first, first on the bipartisan, the bipartisan nature of this outrage. I mean, that was really one of the surprising things about, uh, or potentially surprising things about, about the backlash. That uh, you know, for a long time, for the five years that Walker has been in office, uh, the Republicans and the conservative media in Wisconsin, and sort of the conservative infrastructure in Wisconsin, has stood pretty, pretty united behind him. Um, but this was, this was a step too far. Uh, this, this appeared to be. Very clearly, very clearly aimed at limiting public scrutiny of Walker as he runs for as he runs for president, um, preventing national media outlets and uh, and his competitors from filing open records requests that um, that might hurt his presidential ambitions. Um, but it would not. But the the changes to the law would not only have affected Walker; they would have affected everybody. Yeah. It would have affected. Uh, the access for the access to public information and information about what our elected officials are doing on our behalf for everybody. It would have limited scrutiny of Democratic lawmakers. It would have limited scrutiny of Republican lawmakers, um, and and everybody uh, everybody who's concerned about open government in Wisconsin recognized that, and there was quite justifiably uh, bipartisan outrage. Um, so, so in response to your question about the difference between Wisconsin law and, and federal law, yeah. um, I would say Wisconsin law is is better. Um, there's a strong presumption of access, uh, and I think perhaps most importantly, there's not a deliberative process exemption in Wisconsin law, uh, an exemption that allows uh, lawmakers to withhold records showing how they came to a particular decision. Uh, and in FOIA, that's maybe one of the, the biggest Achilles, Achilles heels for, uh, for the federal FOIA law, because one, I think one of the most common exemptions that agencies will invoke uh, when they're trying to withhold records uh, and and, uh, and keep keep something from uh, from public scrutiny is this deliberative process exemption that's been read into the federal FOIA law um, and federal courts or Wisconsin courts. I'm sorry, Wisconsin courts uh, have have pretty consistently rejected the assertion that a deliberative process that a similar deliberative process exemption exists in Wisconsin law. Uh, but that is something that. That Walker and legislative Republicans were trying to write into uh, Wisconsin law through this budget provision, and also uh, it's something that Walker has been uh, just roundly asserting in order to uh, uh, in order to reject public records requests to his office about uh, about his role in. Uh, developing other budget proposals, and that's actually something that we at the Center for Media Democracy are are suing him over right now. And many people uh, believe that our lawsuit against against Governor Walker is what gave rise to some of these open records changes. And when you talk about the deliberative uh, deliberative process uh, exemption, that is essentially meant, and this is used at the. Uh, 
the the federal level, and and you may have heard, uh, for example, you know George W. Bush and and Barack Obama have both talked about the deliberative process that documents and records that relate to, uh, you know, to them as they are working on. Uh, policy that uh, you know d- discussions about policy as they are deliberating ideas and so forth that these should be exempt uh, from the open records laws because they say they claim that it will chill uh, the advice that people might be willing to give them do I understand basically that uh, the, the reason for that deliberative process exemption that is at least in the federal law if if not in the Wisconsin law yeah, that's right. I mean, that's the argument that uh, that's made for it. That it's supposed to protect the that that it's supposed to protect the the, the deliberative process, the process of arriving arriving at policy. Uh-huh. Um, but there's never, but it's never existed in Wisconsin law. And you know, the sky didn't fall. Uh, <laughs> legislators are not are not hamstrung. Legislators are still able to develop policy. The governor is still able to put together a budget. Uh, the difference is just that they have to they have to be accountable for it. They have to. Uh, uh, disclose to the press and the public, uh, you know, how they came to these decisions. And I mean, I think they sometimes forget these elected officials seem, seem to be forgetting that they're working for us. They're working on behalf of their constituents, and the public has a right to know uh, how the policy that's going to affect all of us is is developed. Uh, who ha- who who helped influence it? Uh, what materials were were relied on? What was their reasoning for, uh, for for pushing these changes into law? And that's what Walker and at least some Republicans in Wisconsin um, are trying to uh, are, are trying to keep secret. Did they did they give any indication when they were uh, passing this uh, attempted well this attempt to gut the Wisconsin Open Records Law? Did they give any indication? Uh, you know, publicly, why they were doing this? Did they explain this in any way uh, publicly? Did they give any reason that was, uh, you know, that that was even acceptable, even if it was an ostensible reason that they were making up? What was their claim for killing this law or trying to? Well, at the at the time, there was no really no public statement whatsoever, um, and that part of that is the. The nature of the way that the or the, the nature of the way that this was was introduced through this last minute uh, budget amendment um, that was that was passed on the mm-hmm. evening of the holiday weekend. So there was no public debate. This was not a standalone bill where there would have been public debate and comments and uh, and discussion. This was this was something that they tried to do in the in the dead of night um, after the the public outcry and this bipartisan backlash against the changes. Uh, they tried to. They tried. There, there was. There's been not a single explanation I've seen that has been that has made any sense. Um, they've said, "Oh well, we were trying to protect the identities of constituents. Uh, we think that there should be something about this deliberative process, but we, you know, but we support transparency. We support open government. Uh, but nobody, nobody is buying those explanations. I mean, this. Any way you look at this, uh, the only it, it, the only reasonable conclusion that you can draw is that this was an effort uh, by Walker and some Republicans in the legislature to uh, to undermine open government in the dead of night. It, yeah, it really was, uh, or it seems to be. Uh, I'm speaking with Brendan Fisher from Wisconsin's Center for Media and Democracy. You mentioned that this was added anonymously. Do we have any uh, more? information now since a few days have passed as to who it was who actually put this language into this uh, into this budget uh do we know where it came from 
Well, over the weekend, that was the that was the million dollar question. Uh, it was something that that reporters were asking of the um, of the chairs of the, the Joint Finance Committee. They refused to say. It was asked of Walker point blank. Um, he refused to say. Uh, and the the news is just breaking that the Senate Majority Leader is, is acknowledging that um, that he, along with uh, Governor Governor Scott Walker's staff, were involved in in drafting these in drafting these changes. Um, so it's really no surprise that Walker was directly directly involved. But we mm-hmm. do have that confirmation now um, that that Walker that Walker's team was involved in this effort to to gut Wisconsin's public records law. Uh, which of course would have had the effect of, um, of of keeping of keeping his record under wraps uh, and limiting limiting public scrutiny uh, of his record as governor as he as he gears up to run for president. Yeah, it it sure would have. Uh, okay, so they they got this thing into the uh, into the budget. They passed it tw- uh, twelve to four on the eve of the July four holiday. There was such an outcry that what happened on Saturday then, and I guess this is actually the July fourth holiday. On Saturday, they withdrew the entire uh, the entire provision. Yeah, uh, the the outcry was so fierce that um, that basically just a few days later, uh, Walker and uh, legislative leaders met on July Fourth on Independence Day uh, and came up with a, and, and released a, a very rare joint statement, um, a very rare joint statement saying we support transparency and we're going to roll back these roll back these changes. Um, but the entire, I mean, all of this was was entirely unprecedented. The uh, when the when the budget proposal was announced late on Thursday, it provoked this 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 broad outcry. It was on the the front page of every newspaper across the state. Uh, and good, uh, and good. the and the and, and Walker, yeah, absolutely. It was it was it was really it was really heartening. Um, and and Walker's traditional allies from. Uh, right-wing think tanks in Wisconsin, from right-wing media outlets, from right-wing legal institutions, all were coming out, coming out against this um, and criticizing, criticizing this measure. Uh, and Walker and and uh, and his allies in the legislature quickly, quickly backed down. Um, and I think that maybe they thought they could get away with it—that the that the hubbub would cry down, would, would would die down over the next few days. But that just hasn't happened. Um, and and again, I mean, as as I think I mentioned, for for the last five years, the Republicans in the legislature and conservatives in Wisconsin have really stood united behind Scott Walker. There's been very little dissent in the ring, mm-hmm. uh, but this, but the outcry over this has been has been really, really unprecedented. Um, and it, and it, and the and the hubbub has not died down. And for the last five days, uh, uh, open government advocates across the political spectrum have continued to. Uh, raise an outcry about these issues, continue to demand, demand uh, information about who came up with these changes, uh, why, why, these, why, why anybody thought these changes were a good idea, uh, and, uh, and, and, and it's, not, it's, it's an issue that's just not, that's just not dying. Is, um, is, and, this, is, uh, is this something that uh, now journalists and, uh, and or the you know, Center for Media and Democracy will be able to get at, ironically enough? via the Open Records Act in Wisconsin? Are you guys able to make open records requests to find out uh, who the hell was behind this? As it, as it stands, I mean, the law has not, the law has not changed. Um, so, of course, we and I think many other people filed requests uh, about, about, how, uh, about who came up with these changes, what meetings happened, what the reasoning was for, uh, uh, for, 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 making, for making these changes. But the, but the other ripple in this, which I alluded to before, is that even though Walker and uh, legislative Republicans failed 
in their effort to add a deliberative process exemption to the statute. Uh, Walker has been has just begun asserting that a deliberative process exemption already exists in Wisconsin law. Uh, so in response to earlier requests for um, for information about budgetary changes or budgetary proposals that Walker that Walker had uh, had made, mm-hmm. uh, he's been asserting that there's a deliberative process uh, privilege that allows allows his office to to withhold documents. Um, so it's entirely possible that these that these requests that are being filed for uh, for for records pertaining to his office's changes to the Open Records Law, uh, it's entirely possible that they're going to deny those requests and invoke this so-called deliberative process exemption. Um, and does again, that I mean, exist? Is that is that real, Brendan? It's something that they're. It's something that they're asserting. It's something that's real in federal law. It's not something that's real in Wisconsin law. But uh, and that's pretty. And that's pretty clear. Uh, if you any under any reading of the of the statutes, I think there's legal experts across the political spectrum agree that this does not exist in in Wisconsin law. So I mean, uh, the long and short of it is that despite despite failing to change the open records law through the legislature. Uh, Walker is continuing to try and uh, blow holes in the open record spot through the court. And he has shown uh, he Scott Walker and his uh, his his minions, if you will, the you know the the many dozens of uh, right wing groups up there in Wisconsin who are more than happy to work with him. Uh, they have shown that they are willing to go to court and they are willing to tie things up in court. And I only wonder if they'll you know continue to fight on this deliberative process issue that they are now claiming. Uh, you know, for as long as they need to during Scott Walker's run for governor. Uh, I'm sorry, for president, uh, for the presidential nomination, the Republican presidential nomination. Uh, Scott Walker has, you know, uh, people look at uh, Chris Christie in regard to Bridgegate and uh, Rick Perry, who actually has two felony charges uh, currently pending against him. But I got to say, in looking at Scott Walker over the years, and I know you've looked a hell of a lot closer than me, but. This guy has a lot of legal problems, doesn't he? I mean, between the John Doe 1 case and now the John Doe 2 case, which I believe is still ongoing, and the Center for Media and Democracy has been uh, instrumental in that case. Can you give us, and I know this is not fair in the uh, just few minutes we have left, but can you give us the the sort of the 30-second roundup of uh, the John Doe 1 case and now where we are with, uh, with John Doe 2? Sure. Yeah, you know, it, it, all of it really comes down to secrecy. When you look at all of these scandals that have faced Scott Walker uh, in the last uh, last several years, it really all comes down to secrecy. John Doe 1 was an investigation into Walker's time as, as county executive, uh, and prosecutors uncovered evidence of Walker's, Walker's team using a, a secret email router set up within the, within the county executive office in order to evade uh, the state's public records laws and also in order to do uh, campaign work on, on public time. Uh, and one of his top aides went to, went to jail uh, mm-hmm. for doing campaign work on public time using that router. Mm-hmm. Uh, other top aides and donors went to, went to jail for a variety of charges ranging from uh, uh, from excessive campaign contributions to, uh, to, to child enticement, 
Um, Chanjo 2 uh, also really was about secrecy. This is a campaign finance investigation led by both Republicans and Democrats in the state, um, alleging that Walker coordinated with uh, dark money groups, 501c4 groups, during mm-hmm. the recall elections. And really, the reason that Walker, according to the evidence that's been gathered, the reason that Walker was working with these outside groups and raising money for these outside groups was to avoid the state's campaign finance disclosure laws. It was, it was to allow him to raise money uh, in secret and keep those donors uh, hidden from the public and hidden from public scrutiny. So, so that, that case, this John Doe 2 campaign finance investigation, has been challenged in court. Uh, by a variety of different, a variety of different groups, and it, it currently stands uh, before the Wisconsin Supreme Court, um, which is expected to issue a decision uh, sometime this month. Um, the problem for the court is that they were elected; that the, the conservative majority, the court's conservative majority, was elected with uh, around 10 million in support from the exact same groups that are under investigation. So Wisconsin Club for Growth and Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce are the two dark money groups that Walker is alleged to have coordinated with during the recall election. Mm-hmm. And those two groups are the top political spenders on uh, Supreme Court elections in recent years. In many cases, they've spent more, these groups have spent more than the justices' own campaigns. Um, so those justices, no justice- those justices are the ones who are going to decide whether it was legal for Scott Walker to uh, to coordinate his uh, recall campaign for governor back in t- uh, twenty uh, what was it now twenty twelve right twenty twelve uh, huh? t- twenty twelve so the very same state supreme court justices who have to run for election in Wisconsin we we need to note mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. they have been supported by these groups these uh, right-wing groups that are alleged to have coordinated with Scott Walker. So they would have to find a judgment against their own groups who helped their get them elected. Biggest supporters, the single, the single biggest supporters for the Supreme Court justices uh, are the same groups that, that could potentially face criminal charges in this campaign finance investigation. Um, and, wow. and also, if the justices do rule in favor of Walker and um, Wisconsin Club for Growth and Wisconsin Manufacturers of Commerce, they would be basically okaying coordination. And that would benefit them in their own campaigns moving forward because mm-hmm. the justices could coordinate directly with the same groups that are, that are parties to this particular case. Shouldn't shouldn't some of these justices be recusing themselves from this case, given that they've received money from the very people that they are are, are being asked to uh, to judge here? Uh, yes, <laughs> but uh, and there has been a recusal motion filed by the uh, by the Republican special prosecutor who's who's leading this investigation. Um, but no justices have recused themselves, and, and in part that's because Wisconsin adopted very weak recusal rules a few years ago. Um, and interestingly, those recusal rules were written by Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, uh, which is one of the groups that's a, that's a party to this case. This is amazing. Uh, and, and I'm glad you noted it's a Republican prosecutor bringing this case uh, against the supporting uh, groups of Scott Walker, because I know they're going to come out and say, oh, it's a, a liberal prosecutor trying to get a No, this is actually a Republican. And you're right. All of these cases, including what happened here over the weekend uh, in the attempt to kill the Open Records Act, it's all about public records and secrecy with Scott Walker. It's absolutely amazing what it is that he's trying to protect. Now, I guess because he's had, you know, a bunch of his top aides either pled guilty or went to jail in that first John Doe investigation. I guess he's got a problem with transparency. But, uh, Brendan, uh, very quickly here, the um, uh, 
The I know that there was 43 Wisconsin state legislate, legislators that you guys, I believe, had filed suit against, that Center for Media and Democracy had filed suit against, because you alleged that they were essentially legislating in secret by working with the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC. Uh, what, what is the status of, of that case? And again, another uh, another case having to do with transparency. Uh, yeah, well, so there's there's been a few things. So back um, a few years ago, we filed a. It wasn't an official lawsuit. It was a. Uh, it was an ethics complaint that we mm-hmm. filed with the Government Accountability Board, alleging that uh, around 43 legislators in Wisconsin had been accepting unlawful gifts uh, from corporations uh, by way of the American Legislative Exchange Council. So basically, these, these corporate interests were footing the bill for legislators to to travel to ALEC meetings, which would appear to run afoul of of Wisconsin's gift laws, which uh, which which like our open records laws are very are very strong, mm-hmm. uh, designed to ensure good government and transparent government. Um, the Government Accountability Board, as the Government Accountability Board was investigating our complaint, uh, you saw the Alec State Chair for Wisconsin and other Alec leaders in Wisconsin begin to talk about dismantling the Government Accountability Board. Um, and the next thing you knew, uh, the 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 board issued a, a decision. Basically, okaying uh, these gifts, uh, allowing these gifts to continue. Um, so that was unfortunate. But we did have two other lawsuits uh, relating to Alec, both both open records lawsuits in recent years. Uh, we had one lawsuit in 2012 filed against eight Alec legislators in the state who tried to keep their communications with Alec secret by shifting their correspondence to a to a private email account. So they tried to communicate with Alec via their Gmail account or their mm-hmm. Yahoo account, and uh, and tried to claim that. They didn't have to turn those records over, um, and we won that case. Uh, we even won that case even though they handily. were even though they were doing uh, state business, obviously via those private email accounts. Yeah, right. yeah. Even though they were doing official business, uh, we filed another another lawsuit in um, in 2013 against uh, Senator Leah Bookmere, who's now on Alex National Board. Uh, after she tried to withhold records pertaining to um, her her role on Alex Board. And her role in, in uh, proposing a bill at Alex Alex meeting, um, she tried to fight that lawsuit. Uh, you know, with everything she had, she tried to claim that as a legislator, she was entirely immune from the open records law. She couldn't uh, she couldn't accept service of our lawsuit. Um, we litigated litigated that for nearly for nearly a year, and that too, uh, if if she would have prevailed in her interpretation of Wisconsin's open records law, um, it, it also would have created a big exemption um, for for legislators and a bit and an easy way for legislators to avoid accountability. But luckily, we uh, we succeeded um, and we prevailed in that in that lawsuit. Um, but again, I mean, it was another example of legislators trying to keep their communications with Alec Alec a secret. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's just amazing what is going on in Wisconsin. But I must say, uh, Brendan Fisher, I'm really happy that the Center for Media and Democracy is there to try to hold uh, hold feet to the fire and bring lawsuits where they're needed. And man, are they needed all over the place these days up in the great Badger State. Uh, I suspect we may even be talking to you later this month after the uh, state Supreme Court makes their decision in the uh, in the John Doe two case, because that is going to affect not just Wisconsin, but perhaps, you know, everywhere in the country as Republicans uh, assert this uh, this notion that uh, their their First Amendment rights are being uh, uh, restricted if they are not allowed to coordinate 
with campaigns, with actual, you know, these dark money groups are not allowed to coordinate with campaigns because that's essentially what they're arguing in this case uh, in John Doe 2. We're going to pick that up next time we talk. Brendan Fisher from the Center for Media and Democracy, always helpful and always incredibly enlightening to talk to you up there. Thank you, Brendan, for joining us. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll talk soon. You can get more information on the remarkable work that the Center for Media and Democracy is doing at prwatch.org. We're going to take a quick break and come back with much more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Bradcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Speaking, speaking of Scott Walker, uh, his uh, his family, he would like you to know, is not on board with his opposition to same-sex marriage. His wife spoke to the Washington Post on Sunday, saying that uh, she and the family disagree with Scott Walker's hardline stance on same-sex marriage. Walker had called the Supreme Court's landmark 5-4 ruling legalizing gay marriage across the country a, quote, grave mistake, and he expressed support for a constitutional amendment allowing individual states to define marriage. He previously supported an amendment to the Wisconsin Wisconsin Constitution that banned same-sex marriage, but he uh, seemed resigned to the reality of gay marriage when it began in the state last fall according to Catherine Thompson over at TPM. But uh, his wife, Tonette, her name is Tonette. I, I and know. your name is Desiree, so be careful about making fun of anybody uh, named Tonette. Hey, there, Desiree. Desiree is an actual okay. name. I don't know that Tonette is. Tonette is a name. <laughs> Tonette Walker told The Post that the couple's college-aged sons, Matt and Alex, were, were not happy with their father's reaction to the Supreme Court's decision legalizing marriage equality. She said, that was a hard one. Our sons were disappointed. I was torn. I have children who are very passionate in favor of same-sex marriage, and Scott was on his side very passionate. She added that her own perspective on same-sex marriage had been colored by her close relationship with a lesbian cousin whom friends told The Post has vacationed and hosted parties with Wisconsin's first family. It's hard for me because I have a cousin who I love dearly. She's like a sister to me who is married to a woman, her partner of 18 years, Tonette, told the newspaper. So it's hard for her. But apparently not hard for Scott Scott Walker, Walker. whose cousin by marriage that woman is. Right. He could care less. uh, Not only could he he care less, he wants her to not be married. He wants her to be divorced. He wants to break up that family, apparently. Uh, maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. He's trying. I think he's trying to uh, play both sides of the street here. He's got a uh, he's got a primary to win after all in the uh, hard right Republican base. And so he's got to be against it for some reason instead of, you know what, being a leader and saying, you know what, this is the right thing to do. And it's the right thing to do, he should say, because I'm a conservative and because as a conservative, I believe <clears throat> in equal justice for all. I believe in the Constitution's promise of equal justice. But Scott Walker apparently doesn't have the courage to say that. So instead, 
He says, well, the Supreme Court says we must, so there's nothing we can do about it. And, oh, Tonette, go out there and tell them how you're against it and how my kids are against it, because then people will will think that maybe I can be moved on this, that maybe I'm a sensitive guy. So the base will think that I'm uh, against um, gay marriage. And everyone else I can send the dog whistle to for the general election that, hey, I'm not that bad of a guy. Otherwise, she would have divorced me and my kids would have walked out by now. Josh Marshall uh, says about this that uh, politically, he says, I think the message is, uh, quote, look, I can't be that big a hater. Even my family doesn't oppose this. He writes that not only does this soften the Paul's image, it's an implicit signal for those who want to receive it that the candidate probably, probably doesn't actually believe it either. He's just stuck in this position out of political necessity or inertia. Or the fact that he is uh, so ambitious, he will say anything, no matter who it hurts, in order to win the Republican nomination for president of the United States in 2016. Speaking of people who will do anything, no matter who it hurts, uh, the the flag, it it looks like it is definitely the Confederate battle flag looks like it's definitely going to come down now in South Carolina. It has been passed. uh, A motion to take it down has been passed by I think it was 36 to three or 39 to three in the South Carolina Senate. It is now moving over to the uh, to the House out there. The governor, Nikki Haley, the Republican governor, has already called for it to come down. So it seems like unless something changes the uh, the House in South Carolina will vote for it to come down. And I'm actually kind of impressed by all of this because the fact of the matter is, you know, after Sandy Hook and after the massacre there, it seemed like there would be a move in this country to finally do something, anything, to improve gun safety. Somehow, at the very least, the lowest possible fruit, uh, lowest hanging fruit would be, you know, uh, require background checks for everyone buying a gun in any situation, which is something supported by Democrats, Republicans, NRA members. It's supported by everyone except the NRA themselves. And uh, because they spend millions of millions of dollars, both lobbying candidates and, uh, you know, giving money to candidates, specifically to Republican candidates, the Republicans there folded and nothing was done about guns. So I wondered, would the same thing be done here after the uh, massacre at the uh, at the AME Church in Charleston? They talked about taking down the Confederate flag, which is really the lowest hanging fruit. No pun intended there. You know, they're not going to improve gun safety They're You know, we'll take down the flag. Would there be pushback against that? Well, so far, not that much, although there were uh, there have been uh, various instances around the country. Two members of the Marion County Republican Party in Iowa had to resign on Monday because they threw they flew three Confederate flags from the county GOP's float in a local Independence Day parade on Saturday in uh, in Iowa. Des Moines Register reported Owen and Linda Golay, both members of the Marion County, Iowa Republicans Central Committee, pulled the GOP's parade float behind their truck from which they hung three Confederate flags. Uh, In the float behind Golay's truck, the Republican Party members held campaign signs for GOP candidates, including Iowa Governor Terry Branstad, a Republican, Senator Joni Ernst, a Republican, according to the Des Moines Register. 
they said, oh, we got a lot of cheers, thumbs up. Some people stood up and clapped. We got a lot of support for that. This was my whole point was that the uh, was this whole exercise was to represent a segment of American veterans that are being buried in history, three of which are buried in Marion County, he said. This was Owen Gole. These American veterans, these were people who were shooting against Americans who were trying to leave the United States of America. And yet here they are now, how many, you know, a hundred, hundred years later, uh, celebrating this, celebrating, I guess, the people who were shooting against them and saying, well, hey, they're Americans. We got to celebrate them no matter who it is that it hurts. Uh, I'm happy to say that the Republican governor, uh, Terry Branstad, said that that is really disloyal to all of those veterans from Iowa that fought to save the union and fought against that flag. So I just think that it is most inappropriate. It's disrespectful to all those Iowans from Marion County, he went on to say, that went down to fight to save the union. So I'm totally baffled that that would happen in this state. Good for him. Good for Terry Branstad standing up to that nonsense, even though, once again, I think I need to repeat, we're talking about the lowest possible lowest possible hanging fruit, which is getting rid of these uh, uh, symbols of the Confederacy. As far as doing things that will actually directly stop gun violence, and people from walking into a church, massacring nine people, that's another matter. So the Republican Party finally seems to be moving in the right direction there, although, as I say, there are pockets. One more pocket before we get out, Desi Doyne. Uh, bucking the national trend of removing the Confederate flag from public spaces, one Florida county voted Tuesday to put the stars and bars back up ha! after a brief hiatus. Marion County, Florida officials... It's always Marion County, Marion County, Iowa, Marion County, Florida. They took down the Confederate flag that flies at the county government complex last week, uh, temporarily replacing it with a flag bearing the county seal. But then the county commission unanimously approved a move to fly the flag again days later, saying members would meet with historians to discuss placing markers by the flag to explain its historical significance. That will make it all okay, won't it? We live in America. And last time I checked, it was a democracy, one Confederate flag supporter told News 13. So here in Marion County, which has, what, 300,000 people, how could one man decide to take it off a flagpole? That's true. It's true. It's a democracy. It's a democracy even if you vote to leave it and start shooting against all its members and killing them. It's still a democracy. And uh, the Republican Party still has a lot of problems they need to work out. Oh, well, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn. To my guest today, Brendan Fisher of the Center for Media and Democracy. You can check them out at PRWatch.org. And once again, my thanks to my friend, my little sister, Nicole Sandler from RadioOrNot.com for filling in for me yesterday. We'll be back with you soon. Until then, if you missed any portion of the program, you can download it at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And otherwise, you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. Hope you will follow me there. Until we meet again, you can, as always, find me at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 